Welcome to our continuing 2020 educational webinar series. I am Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliant management solution tailored to your business. A hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or a skilled nursing facility. And we help manage every aspect of a compliance program and our training library provides hundreds of modules that are easy to assign and track. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Patricia Clendenning, president of HR Strategies LLC with us today. Tricia is a global professional in human resources and a senior professional in human resources. She has her SHRM SCP, was the first in Delaware with this competency-based certification and the only person in Delaware to have all three designations. She has over 35 years of experience in human resources management with Fortune 100 corporations in a variety of coaching, change management, strategic planning, training and development, and employee relations roles. In 2002, she launched HR Strategies LLC to provide HR services to mid-size organizations. Trisha has been the recipient of numerous awards, regularly spends time in, on Capitol Hill meeting with government officials, including presidential ca candidates, and has been instrumental in writing several pieces of legislation. She is a frequent speaker for local and national organizations on HR topics impacting employers and their workforce and has been providing guidance to organizations throughout the country on the pandemic and how to navigate their businesses during the past several months. HR Strategies LLC supports organizations that are privately held, publicly traded, as well as works with state, county, and local municipalities. During the past two decades, the firm has worked with both for-profit and non-profit organizations and supported volunteer boards in helping them achieve their goals. The firm supports companies in various industries, such as law firms, medical practices, fire companies, engineering firms, construction, financial industries, insurance firms, biotech, environmental services, manufacturing, behavioral health, education, economic development, hospitality, farming, housing, automobile, retail, and aviation. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PayCom and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your PayCom certificate will come directly from PayCom and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There's no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available with a button on the bottom right-hand side of your screen or the upper side of your screen. So, Tricia, a very warm welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Catherine. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak on behalf of your organization during these uh, unprecedented times and I hope that our time together today will help all of those that are on the uh, webcast 
help them navigate and prepare for the uh, new normal, right? Preparing for re-entry into the workplace. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time giving my background since uh, Catherine did an amazing job giving you some insight. So we'll move right on to what our objectives are for today. So during this webcast, we will cover uh, COVID's impact on your business. Um, we have, you know, the Families First Corona Response Act, Now What? Uh, we'll talk about OSHA compliance, preparing for uh, re-entry. Talk briefly on unemployment highlights for some concerns that people have regarding that. Make sure that, you know, and I know this audience knows it better than most, uh, ADA and uh, HIPAA compliance. I'll share some best practices and then of course leave time at the end for any questions that anyone um, may want to ask. So the first thing we're gonna talk about is COVID's impact on your business. And depending on your organization, some of these things will be applicable and other things will not. But I wanted to make sure we incorporated all the what ifs so that you are better prepared and thinking about those things. So, you know, first of all, your suppliers. Do you know who or where your key suppliers are located? Do they have contingency plans in place to ensure the continuation of supply? As far as physical logistics are concerned, do you know what their supply routes are? Have you spoken with your logistics providers to understand any potential impacts and have they proposed to mitigate against them? What are your contingency plans if routes are canceled? As far as your contracts are concerned, have you reviewed your contracts with key customers and suppliers to understand your potential liability in the event of supply shortages and how best to manage your legal risks? How will you respond if suppliers end up not following through on their contracts, the various clauses that you may have in there like force majeure? What about your inventory? Have you assessed your inventory cover? Do you need uh, to ring fence inventory for particular customers in case of shortages? Do you have the ability to track shipments in real time and therefore manage your customer or your client expectations? And then we think about customer loyalty and demand. How will you set expectations with customers? How can you recover the experience in the future? How well do you know your customers? Are you likely to lose customers to competitors? Um, and how will a drop in consumer demand impact your long-term growth plans? These are all things that we should be thinking about. As far as awareness and communication, you know, do you have a communication plan? And when we talk about that, it's not just a communication for your uh, customers and your clients, but also your staff. Um, have you communicated with relevant customers, employees, and suppliers about what you're doing now and what the future may look like? Then you want to think about your workforce availability. How will you deal with the impact on your workforce? How can you ensure the safety of your employees while trying to maintain business as usual? Have you assessed the cybersecurity and health safety risks associated with employees who may be working from home now or will continue to do so in the future. 
as far as technology is concerned, um, do you have an in-house or are you using a third-party IT supplier and have they been impacted? Will this impact how your system is supported today and in the future? Does your workplace communications technology allow you to reduce travel and enable remote working? And for how long? How long? Um, as far as your commercial plans, I mean, how will, you um, how will your change plans and programs be impacted? Will project deadlines and investments need to be delayed? Are they still available? Um, and what impact does this have on your strategy? For those organizations that are governed by a board, um, sometimes when you have board meetings, um, you have people traveling from remote locations. Now we need to adhere to travel bans. How will this impact your board governance, your meetings, and the way you run your business? Do you have technology in place to support remote uh, governance, right? Uh, these are things you need to think about. Uh, for legal coverage, have you identified how to document the additional requirements to meet these requirements? Cash flow, you know, this is a big concern for organizations with everything we are experiencing. Have you reviewed and, and revised your cash flow, your working capital management and inventory forecasts alongside of supply and demand predictions? As far as financial stability, um, how will your financial stability be impacted from further stock market declines and restricted funding? Will the completion of your financial statements be delayed? Is this going to cause a delay in your audit opinions if you're using a third party to do that? Some of you may not be affected much by um, global, uh, global trade and, and um, are you aware of any government mitigation plans which could impact your supply chain? Do you have any um, domestic alternatives as far as suppliers are concerned? And then when we talk about government and public health requirements, do you have a dedicated resource or resources reviewing public health requirements and other related government announcements and ensuring that you stay informed? Have you assessed your obligations as an employer for the health and safety of your employees? And keep in mind, over the past eight weeks, these standards, these requirements and compliance components have, you know, changed at one point. They were changing on an hourly basis. So really having someone focused on that is really, really important to protect you, your employees, and any of your customers. As far as business dis uh, disruption is concerned, how will you maintain trust with your customers and ensure them that either your product or service is still safe? And how will a drop in demand impact your cost base and profitability? Do you need to revisit and relook at your business model? Now, many organizations have transitioned to telework. And with that, that brings up a whole other host of concerns, issues um, that we need to address. So as we navigate the current environment and the shift towards a remote way of working, we wanna make sure and help all employees to be safe. Um, we wanna make sure that they're safe and healthy, that they're digitally prepared and actively engaged. Maintaining a sense of team and managing the 
teen experience is really critical during this time. I will cover some uh, practices that help ensure continued security, productivity, and motivation during times of uh, remote work as we move forward. So first, we'll talk about personnel information. It's really important that you use an agreed upon collaboration site to collect the information. You wanna make sure that you have customer cell phone numbers and email addresses, if applicable and appropriate. Um, you wanna make sure that your internal team calendar detailing time off, holidays, and other no noteworthy events are on there. Would recommend that you update your email si uh, signature to include your cell phone number. Um, you may wanna consider adding a photo to that. Actively communicate with your manager, your teams, if any schedule or changes occur. As far as logistics and technology, you want to ensure access and understanding of all collaboration tools, you know, including instant messaging or conference bridges. You want to update meeting invites with the remote collaboration tool information. You want to recommend that everyone test the technology before the meetings to ensure functionality. As far as those individuals that are working remotely, you want to make sure that they check their at-home internet connection. Um, they may have to find an alternative in the case that it's defective, whether it's a hotspot, um, an approved public space with secure Wi-Fi. For those of us that are working in different time zones, we want to make sure that we are respectful of different time zones and business hours. You also need to order hardware to support remote work if necessary. Make sure it is approved by the appropriate person, whether it's your internal or third-party IT support uh, provider. And start making modifications to any non-virtual training content as all trainings might shift to virtual mode for, for quite some time. As far as emails are concerned, really establishing expectations, making sure that everyone acknowledges emails when they're received and have them indicate a tentative resolution time and follow up accordingly. We wanna be extra proactive and clear and very detailed in your emails. Recognize when an email will not be productive. A productive example, you know, if something is very complex or it's a sensitive topic, and if that's you know, either of those are the cases, make a phone call when it's more appropriate. In the case that you don't have a solution, you want to be able to direct people to relevant team members with their contact details. As far as telephone is concerned, you want to discuss with teams and customers whether calling and texting them on their cell phones is acceptable. You want to ask that question first, not make an assumption. Excuse me. Reminder that text conversations should never discuss sensitive um, or um, confidential information. We want to be prompt in replying to customer calls and text messages making sure that we update voicemail messages if needed, Make, you know, let people know that you're not walk, working from the office and that you're working remotely and we'll be checking your voicemail message however many times a day or having on there what another number is that they can reach you on. Um, it's really important to manage and control background noise. Um, you, know, you may wanna use a, a headphone or use your uh, mute button 
when you may have noises that may um, interfere or distract during a conference call or, or any type of um, uh, webcast that you may be on. And as I'm sure we're all experiencing, uh, we need to charge our phone and head headphones more than we ever have before. Maybe have an extra charger on hand to help because we're using it so much more than we ever have previously. <clears throat> Excuse me. As far as instant messaging is concerned, um, sign in and be available on instant messaging. Acknowledge messages when they're received. Set the status on instant messaging according to your activity. So set the status to not disturb when you're presenting or you're tied up, or set the status to away when not at your computer. When it comes to com uh, customer interactions, it's really important that we all be early to meetings. We wanna load materials beforehand and, and close them, and close any unwanted or sensitive views before sharing your screen. Potentially plan on sending uh, PDF documents in advance to all the attendees. Um, so in case the document doesn't load or if someone can't see your screen during the meeting, they have that accessible. It's really important to identify the purpose of the meeting and the speakers um, in the meeting invite. Um, all attendees should know what their role is and how they can contribute to meeting the objectives. You may want to consider using techniques such as Ram Robin to avoid talking over one another. Remember to roll call and identify required participants. You may want to consider assigning an attendee to take detailed notes with action items that they can distribute after the call so that everyone stays on the right page together. And as we're all experiencing, we're having more and more uh, conference calls and, and Zoom meetings and WebEx meetings, try and keep a buffer of five to 10 meeting, uh, minutes between each of these meetings to avoid participants of the next meeting joining before the current one is uh, finished or that you have time to breathe and shift gears before you need to engage in a different topic or activity. As far as your internal teams are concerned, you know, Ensuring that their interactions are moving in a positive, collaborative way is really helpful. Have a team discussion regarding what the expectations are for remote working. Maintain a list of daily actionable tasks to ensure joint accountability. Review approval process and governance with the team to mitigate any potential risks. And you wanna leverage video conferencing, if available, so that you can see your colleagues. Uh, but first, you want to confirm if everyone is agreeable to that format. Um, some people who have not had the liberty of um, having their hair cut or dressed in some time may not be comfortable being seen by the people they work with. So having that conversation first will be very helpful. And we also want to be empathetic. We want to make sure that you know, we understand what some of these team members are going through or how they are impacted by the current state of affairs. Some people are struggling more than others. Some have, you know, maybe a single parent. They have children at home because of no school, no daycare. They're trying to do their work. They're trying to do classwork, schoolwork with their children or keep them otherwise engaged 
or from hurting one another. So we want to be empathetic about what others may be uh, dealing with while still trying to be a productive contributor to the team. As far as effectiveness is concerned, um, try to plan your rem uh, remote work like you do an office day. Choose a comfortable and convenient workspace at home or your remote work location. If you have video calls and you are going to have uh, the camera on, you want to dress appropriately and consider your surroundings. Set up daily or more frequent checkpoints with your team. Set apart time for non-work-related catch-up so that your team and your colleagues can still feel connected. Understand working constraints, as I mentioned. You know, some people may have distractions during a call. Um, let people know in advance that, you know, your dog is ready to go out or the baby should be waking up from a nap or, or something along those lines. Keep those communication lines open. Again, you always want to send documents in a PDF format before the calls so that, you know, the individuals that are going to be participating can read them, uh, maybe come up with questions or discussion points um, while you're on the phone or on the uh, conference call. When working remotely, employees risk losing their sense of connectivity and team, not to mention opportunities for humor and lighter conversations. So following these practices can help ensure what makes working at your organization the most rewarding is and that you can retain them. So now we're going to switch gears and talk for a moment about um, what happens if your business owner becomes incapacitated. You know, preparing the company for uh, the incapacity or death is vital to the survival of the organization. Otherwise, the business will be disrupted, harming your customers, employees, vendors, and ultimately the family of the incapacitated person. For this reason, proactive financial planning, including uh, your business and estate plan, is key. These are some tips on how to protect your, your organization and keep the business on track and operating day to day in your absence. So first, prepare for the unexpected. If you are a small business owner, your focus is likely on keeping the company or the business running on a daily basis. While this is important, uh, looking beyond today to what will happen if you can't run the business should be on the top of your uh, to-do list. If you die or become incapacitated without a plan in place, you will leave your heirs without clear instructions on how to run the organization. This can jeopardize the business that you've worked so hard to build. The right plan along with adequate insurance can help keep the business running regardless of what happens. You wanna execute the proper business documents. If the organization has several owners, a buy-sell agreement is a must. This contract will outline the agreement upon plan for the business should an owner become incapacitated or die. Provisions in the buy-sell agreement usually include how the sale price for the business and the owner's interests are determined, whether the remaining owners will have the option to buy the incapacitated or deceased member's interest, and whether certain individuals can be blocked from participating in the business. Execute the proper estate planning documents. 
a properly executed will or trust will allow you to state how you would like your assets to be transferred and who will receive these assets at your death. A will or a trust also lets you identify who will take charge of the assets and manage their disbursement, including your business accounts, according to your wishes. Although a will can be used to pass assets at death, creating and properly funding a trust allows any assets owned by the trust to bypass the probate process, making distribution of assets to heirs much faster, private, and may reduce the legal fees and estate taxes that they will owe. Additionally, a trust can help the loved ones manage their trust assets if the owner becomes incapacitated. While they are alive and well, they typically act as the trustee of the trust so they can manage their business and assets with little change from the way they do now. But unlike a will, a trust allows the successor trustee to step in and manage things if the owner becomes incapacitated. This process avoids court involvement, allows for smooth transition of trust management and proper continuing care for the owner in their time of need. Although having a will can be a great way to start, most business owners are much better off with a trust-based estate plan. So purchasing additional insurance, whether um, the person owns the business by themselves or a co-owner, it is important to have a separate term life insurance and disability policy that names their spouse and children as beneficiaries. The money from these policies will help avoid financial hardship while the buyout procedures of a buy-sell agreement are being carried out. And lastly, um, it's really important that a, um, an estate planning attorney be contacted. Having a plan for the business in the event that the owner is unable to continue managing the organization is essential to keeping the business going. An attorney can explain the many options that a business has to protect their business so that the, uh, that the owner and the employees can focus on what they do best, which is running the organization. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we have Families First Corona Response Act. Now what? So what does this really mean? I'm sure over the past um, couple of months, we've all become very familiar with FFCRA. So I'm not going to go into tremendous detail about it, but give just an overview. So it did become effective on April 1st. It was signed uh, by the president on March 19th. And it basically provides two major components for employers. First is the emergency paid sick leave, and the second is the Emergency Family and Medical Leave uh, Expansion Act. This applies to private employers with less than 500 employees, and it's in effect through the end of this calendar year. So what does that really mean? So I'll break it down into two different sections. First, we'll talk about the Emergency Paid Sick uh, Leave Act. And really what it boils down to is employers are required to provide up to 80 hours of fully paid sick leave to full-time employees um, on top of any other existing paid leave that, um, that the employer already provides. So this is above anything. 
that they already have, whether it's, you know, they approve sick time or PTO or vacation, this is over and above. Anyone that was employed as of April 1st is eligible for this benefit. So how can they utilize or take advantage of this benefit? So the first part is broken down to these three components. So if an employee is subject to a governmental quarantine or isolation uh, related to COVID-19, they could take advantage of it. If the employee has been advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine due to COVID-19, they could take advantage of it. And if the employee is experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 and seeking a medical diagnosis, they are eligible for it. So it is 100% pay up to 80 hours, up to a maximum of $511 per day or a total of 5,110 over the uh, 80 hours that they would be paid. So that would be at 100% up to those maximums. The other component under the emergency paid sick leave is where someone would be eligible to receive up to 80 hours, but two thirds of their normal pay up to a maximum amount. And what you see here are the three components that would allow someone to be eligible for this benefit. So if someone is caring for an individual who has either been quarantined or has an isolation order uh, relating to COVID-19, or um, they have been advised by a healthcare provider, that individual, they would, uh, the employee would be eligible for up to two thirds. If the employee is caring for their child, who the schools are closed, the daycare facilities are closed, they can earn up to two thirds of um, their salary up to the maximum amounts for 80 hours under this. And then the, the last bullet on here, employees experiencing any other substantially similar circumstances related to COVID-19. Um, that has not clearly been defined, um, but usually someone would be eligible for one of the top two or the three from the previous slide. Now again, it's two thirds up to a maximum of 200 per day and a, an aggregate of 2,000 over the 80 hours. So emergency paid sick leave documentation, it's really, really critical that you make sure that you are documenting uh, what is transpiring. I have here a, uh, an example on the right side of your screen. This is an EPSL um, request form, okay, emergency paid sick leave request form. The employer provides that to the employee, they complete it, and then following that, the employer would get the documentation back and make a determination and then uh, send documentation to the employee, letting them know whether, yes, it's been approved or not. You as the employer are required to retain both of these forms for four years. You need to be cognizant of the fact that this should be handled like you do any other ADA paperwork or uh, HIPAA. It needs to be maintained separately, locked, and um, only appropriate people have access to it, just like you do with ADA or HIPAA. The other side of this Families First Corona Response Act uh, piece of legislation 
is the Emergency Family and Medical Leave Expansion Act. This is different from regular FMLA. So if you are not um, required to comply with FMLA previously because you didn't have over 50 employees, um, that doesn't matter. If you are, um, if you are an organization under 500 people, you may have to provide up to 12 weeks of emergency family medical leave um, under this new piece of legislation. The caveat for this is that the employee has to be employed at least 30 calendar days prior to being eligible. So they need to be on the books as of, you know, the beginning of March to be eligible as of um, April 1st. So um, what does this really mean? So anyone basically that is to um, take care of a child who is home because of no school, no daycare, an employee can take up to 12 weeks and be protected and covered under this. They are not required, the employer is not required to pay for the first 10 days of leave, but the employee can say, I want to be paid for the first 10 and I can use either my emergency paid sick leave or I can use any accrued time that I have with the organization, whether I was accruing sick time or vacation time or paid time off. The employee can substitute um, using that time for it rather than having it unpaid. Again, the employer must pay for the remaining 10 weeks of that leave at a rate not less than two thirds of the employee's regular uh, rate, not to exceed 200 a day or $10,000 in aggregate. Very similar to the emergency uh, paid sick leave, you must document and you must retain the records for four years. Again, uh, different forms set up for the Emergency Family and Medical Leave Expansion Act. You would send the form to the employee, the employee would complete it, attach any appropriate documentation, send it back. Then the company would send a response form to the employee, letting them know whether it's been approved or denied and why. Again, these documents treat it as you would any documents covered under ADA or HIPAA. So some additional things to keep in mind. Um, if someone is out under emergency paid sick leave or under the Emergency Family Leave Expansion Act, their benefits continue as they would if they were an active employee, okay? Um, if someone is new to the organization and let's say your benefits would not be kicking in for another 30 days, once they would have been eligible, they are now eligible. So it doesn't change. The, the dates stay the same. As far as pay, um, some uh, individuals have asked in the past, can an, an employer pay uh, the difference between the two-thirds and 100%? The answer is yes, but the company will only get the tax credit for the two-thirds. Um, teleworking during non-business hours. Um, they're not eligible for the expansion leave if they're doing that. If um, 
If someone leaves the organization, they're terminated, any unused leave will not be paid out. Uh, the question has come up, you know, this happened prior to April 1st, is it retroactive? No, it's not. It is only from April 1st through um, December 31st of 2020. Um, if someone was out prior to 4 1 due to COVID related uh, situation, they are, they are eligible effective April 1st. Again, not retroactively. Some other things if at the end of uh, December they have not had to use either of these benefits, can they use them in 2021? No, it is not uh, to be carried over. Um, intermittent leave. So let's say someone says, okay, my spouse and I are both working from home. We have three kids under the age of eight that we need to do schoolwork with. Can I do a week on or, and a week off to take advantage of that Family Medical Leave Expansion Act? And, you know, what I would say is the, the government has really asked that employers work the best they can to accommodate your employees and you would much rather have them working intermittently than not at all so i would strongly urge you to consider it but it needs to be a set schedule so that you can manage your business needs um, as well if um, for some reason you close the business you decide to shut the door put the lock on um, what happens uh, the the benefit goes away okay if uh, the employee was sent home and they were not getting paid uh, prior to April 1st, they are not eligible for this benefit. If they were furloughed on or after April 1st, once they are furloughed or laid off, they are no longer eligible for the, these benefits. So if you have not had the need to, as of yet, consider yourself very fortunate but many organizations have had to deal with Families First um, Coronavirus uh, Response Act. And what I've recommended is that you set up three different payroll codes so that you can track this information. So if you handle payroll internally, uh, you may want to set it up yourself. If you use a third uh, party provider, check with them and ask them uh, what the payroll codes are for this. So there should be three separate ones. One that would track the emergency paid sick leave at 100%, one that would track the emergency paid sick leave at two thirds, and then one that would track the Family Medical Leave Expansion Act at two thirds. This way it is easy to see what you've done, track what people have received, and help you in calculating the tax credits. Okay, every dollar that you are paying out under either of those two benefits, okay, the emergency paid sick leave or the um, Family Medical Leave Expansion Act, Expansion Act rather, they are all uh, tax deductible. So you can take 100% of what you paid for those in addition to their health plan expenses during that leave, and you can take a tax credit on your immediate tax deposit that you're ready to make with your next payroll, okay? The uh, tax credits for COVID-19, just so you know, will sunset on December uh, 31st. So let's switch gears and talk about OSHA for a few moments. 
Um, many of us have spent a lot of time on OSHA's website, CDC's website, the World Health Organization's web website. But one of the things that we tend to forget is what are our responsibilities when it comes to OSHA? So first of all, you know, here are some guidance. Um, we are encouraged, okay, to have our workers stay home if they're sick, right? We don't want them coming in. Um, we need to allow workers to wear masks over their nose and, and mouth to prevent them from spreading the virus. And many of the states across the country are now requiring employers to provide their employees with masks, okay? Um, make sure that we do what we can as far as control measures, including PPE necessary to uh, protect workers from any type of jobs, job hazard associated with any type of activity, whether it's construction, medical, whatever it is, we wanna put everything in place we can. We're required to advise our, our workers to avoid any physical contact with others and direct um, employees, contractors, visitors, guests to increase personal space to at least six feet where possible. Um, you wanna make sure that social distancing in everything that we do, okay, is maintained. You also wanna make sure that you're training your people on how to properly put them on, use them, wear them, and take them off. I've seen individuals who have on gloves, they've got on a mask, they've got on safety glasses, and they, with the gloves that they've touched things with, they're now taking off their masks and their uh, safety glasses. We certainly don't wanna do that. We want to make sure that we are not touching anything with anything that has come in contact with things that we're unsure of. So we wanna take off the gloves, we want to scrub for 20 seconds, right? Our hands, either with you know warm soapy water or using a hand sanitizer uh, with uh, at least 60% alcohol or more in order to get our hands clean before we take anything else off and then wash them again. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, promote personal hygiene, um, you know, sometimes we don't always have immediate access to soap and water for hand washing. So as I mentioned a moment ago, we want to make sure that we are providing some sort of uh, hand rubs, hand sanitizer that have at least 60% alcohol. Again, some states are now requiring employers to provide that, okay? We want to make sure that we are using the appropriate cleaning uh, chemicals with everything that we um, or cleaning and make sure that the labels, um, look at the labels, make sure it's protecting against coronavirus. To the extent that's possible, we wanna clean anything that we are sharing, any tools, any resources, equipment that we are using, <coughs> excuse me, we wanna make sure it's cleaning. So let's say we're at a copy machine and we're doing a bunch of copying and we're scanning files for our records and what have you. Once you finish with that machine, you need to make sure that you are wiping it down. And personally, I'd be wiping it down before I use it and then wiping it uh, down again afterwards, right? Um, we wanna make sure that our um, in-person meetings are limited to what your state guidelines um, are requiring, right? We wanna make sure that, you know, I know in some states, you're not allowed to have any gatherings of 
um, any more than 10 people. We don't know how long that's going to take. We don't know how long that will last and when it will move to 20, 25, or 50. So we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to utilize technology for any meetings. Even if you're all in the same office, get on a Zoom meeting, get on a, a webcast meeting, use whatever technology is available to prevent people from being together. Um, you want to make sure that you're encouraging people to report any safety or health concerns. So if someone came into your facility, right, we should be having signs up at the door letting people know that if they have any of these symptoms or been around anyone that has been exposed not to enter, that we're doing, you know, screenings and, and what have you. But if someone walks in, they don't have enough face, uh, um, a face covering, we want to make sure that that is reported. We want to manage that process so that we can keep everyone as safe as we possibly can. And one thing I will share are there are no uh, specific OSHA standards regarding COVID-19, okay? Um, we're still required to um, comply with the general duty clause, PPE, blood foreign pathogens. This is nothing new or surprising to anyone that is in the medical field. Um, but one of the things that we want to make sure that we're doing is that we are monitoring what is happening and the changes that are going on that are being uncovered on a weekly basis regarding COVID-19 and, and this uh, pandemic. We want to make sure that we can eliminate or reduce the risks of any type of exposure for you know, all the people that we are working with. We also need to understand that you know, OSHA does require us to maintain the 300 and 300A logs every year, right, of uh, um, log of work-related injuries and illnesses. And if someone at your workplace um, tests positive for COVID-19, you may have to log that as a reportable. Now, we all know it's going to be very, very difficult to um, determine was it really contracted while they were at work during you know work hours or was it exposure to someone outside of there at the grocery store or one of the family members that live in their home or what have you but that's why um contact tracing is so important but please understand that you may have to um go through that process and and record as an osha recordable so let's switch gears and talk about what's happening across the country. These next few slides are really um, from uh, the White House website. These are the phases for all employers across the country. And this is really going to determine how we're going to be opening up. And as we watch the news every day, we are seeing different um, states, different regions, different towns, different cities are, are somewhat doing their own thing. But these are the guidelines that we're supposed to be complying with as a country. So in order for different states to open up, they're really, um, they're, this is supposed to be their, their guiding principle, right? So we want to make sure that we've got policies in place that are going to support social distancing and protective equipment, how we're handling um, temperature checks and sanitation. 
um, how we're going to use and disinfect any type of common or high traffic areas and make determinations on business travel, right? So we want to make sure that we're monitoring our workforce for any type of symptoms. Um, we don't allow people that are symptomatic to physically return to work until they've been cleared by their provider and put some policies and procedures um, in place. So again, as I mentioned a moment ago, that we can go through the contact tracing process. So as a state, these are some of the uh, requirements that they have been uh, tasked with. So first they need to make sure as a state that they've got testing and contract, uh, contact tracing in place. Different states are at a different stage of this, so they need to be able to, you know, be able to determine if someone has a positive um, test result, how they can quickly get to the point of knowing who those individuals have been in contact with over, you know, the previous, um, I think it's, I think they're going back four days prior to becoming symptomatic. Of course, it's very difficult if you have someone who is asymptomatic. Um, the states must ensure that the healthcare system has the capacity, right, to, um, to be able to handle a surge in uh, positive cases that need to be hospitalized and making sure that they have not only the appropriate or, or a sufficient supply of PPE, but the additional uh, medical equipment that they need to handle that. Then each of the states must have plans in place that are going to protect the health and, uh, health and safety of workers in critical industries, those that are living and working in high-risk facilities, right? So nursing homes, long-term care facilities. Um, be able to help people who are working in uh, mass transit as well as those utilizing it. And then uh, advising the people that are living in those states on what they need to do as far as social distancing and face coverings. And then monitor the conditions and take the appropriate steps to limit and mitigate any types of rebounds or outbreaks by restarting a phase or returning to an earlier phase if that ends up happening, depending on the severity of it. So this is what phase one looks like as a country, right? We are going to encourage that uh, people continue to telework. If possible, let's not turn the light switch on, let's use the dimmer that I've heard many governors use that phrase. Um, you want to turn the light on slowly, right? So you're going to return to work in phases, not bring back, you know, 200 people into an office space. Maybe you bring back 20% of the people, work out the bugs and figure out how to go from there, depending on their role, depending on the business needs, depending on the health of those individuals, right? Want to make sure that, um, uh, common areas where people are likely to um, kind of hang out together, right? We want to make sure that we've got processes and policies in place to enforce strict social distancing. We do want to minimize any non-essential travel, right? Um, to Especially to any area that um, has, um, you know, a high peak. We want to make sure that we make uh, special accommodations for any of those employees that you have uh, that may have some underlying issues, health issues. 
Now, as far as specific types of employers, you know, it's broken down again from a national level, um, what should be happening. So we see first, you know, schools and organized youth activities. So that's your schools, your day camp, uh, daycare facilities, any camps, they're closed and will uh, remain closed during phase one. You still can't go to hospitals to visit someone um, or to senior living facilities. Large venues, um, again, this is really uh, different across the region that, uh, that I've been seeing over the past 36 hours. Um, they're stating sit-down dining, movie theaters, sporting venues, places of worship can operate but under strict physical distancing protocols. Uh, during phase one, elective surgeries can uh, resume, which I'm sure is going to impact many of the people that are on this uh, call. Um, gyms will be able to open if they adhere to strict physical distancing and sanitation protocols, but bars should remain closed. Not will, but should. During phase two, we are still encouraging telework common areas, um, and now we want to enforce a moderate social distancing protocol. Um, we still want to make special accommodations for the vulnerable population, people with underlying care, uh, health issues. During phase two, uh, they're saying schools and organized youth activities can reopen. Um, visits to senior care facilities and hospitals, uh, hospitals should be prohibited. Um, and those who do interact with the residents and patients, they have to adhere to strict protocols regarding hygiene. Large venues, they can open, you know, they are open and under a moderate physical distancing. And I'm not quite sure what the difference between strict physical distancing and moderate looks like. I don't know if it goes from maybe six feet to maybe four feet, I'm not quite sure, but those are the guidelines. Uh, elective surgeries, you know, resuming, gyms are, are resuming again, um, strict physical distancing and sanitation, and then bars may operate with diminished standing room occupancy in phase two. And then we move to phase three, and it's unrestricted staffing. So, you know, the teleworking is not, you know, encouraged or recommended any longer. We can start visiting our senior citizens. We can start visiting people in the hospital. Um, the large venues, you know, for movie theaters, seated uh, dining, sporting venues, places of worship, they can operate under a limited physical distancing protocol, which again, not quite sure what that is. Um, gyms remain open if they adhere to standard sanitation protocols and then bars may operate with increased standing uh, room occupancy where applicable. So we've gotten through the, uh, the three phases. You know what that looks like. But now we need to think about before we get there, what do we need to do? How do we prepare for reentry? So the next several slides are really making us think about what do we need as an employer to do how can we prepare for reopening and the new norm, right? So we need to think about purchasing first. And if you haven't already started looking for face coverings, hand sanitizer, thermometers, or cleaning uh, supplies, you're a little behind 
schedule because these are very difficult to find. But this is what we need. We need to have in place and available for all of our employees. Another item that you want to consider is having no touch trash uh, receptacles. So no one is touching those. You want to find and schedule a deep cleaning prior to your facility opening. Um, and you want to, um, you probably want to increase the frequency that you have your facility cleaned. You also want to make sure that you're communicating and training people about the new norm, right? You want to um, inform people how to conduct assessments, the use of thermometers, logging the data, who will have access, communicate all of that information. You need to let them know what is going to be prohibited, right? So you're not allowed to go in and um, into someone's cubicle to have a conversation without having masks on and not being, you know, six feet apart. You want to share what the acceptable practices are. You want to talk about and schedule um, common use areas, break rooms, conference rooms. You also want to have signs out, right? What is it? What direction are you going to go? If you have a, a facility that has narrow hallways that will not allow two people to pass and provide them with six feet of social distancing, you may need to make your hallways one way. Some general uh, items to consider. Um, again, all employees and visitors should re uh, be required to maintain a social distancing of six feet. You know, the greetings that we had of yesteryear are gone. So no more shaking hands um, or greetings that don't allow a six foot social distance, okay? They all need to be eliminated. You should have hand sanitizer stations and they should be provided in common areas break rooms, copy printer rooms, entrances, um, conference rooms, all of those places need to have it accessible. Again, frequent cleaning of common and high touch areas should be performed with cleaners that are effective against COVID-19. And you, know, you may want to increase that frequency to potentially twice a day, right? You also want to hang posters to promote good hygiene practices, right? This is a new world. You want to have information about COVID-19, posters related to either passive and active screening. You want to have information on hand washing in the appropriate places, uh, showing people how to cover their cough or their sneeze. Um, these are all things that will help people keep it in the forefront of their mind. Some other uh, general items to consider. Um, making sure that everyone is completing a self-assessment and follow the guidelines provi uh, provided. Some organizations are considering um, only allowing visitors that are considered business critical as defined by that business may be you know, allowed into that office or that facility. The fact that all employees and visitors are required to wear face coverings at all times, except for when they're eating or drinking. Now, again, an exception to that could be if they are in an office or they're in an enclosed cubicle, they could take it off when they're in there. But as soon as they walk out of that, they would need to um, cover their face again with whatever face covering they have. 
Um, you may want to implement passive screening at all locations and, on, and then implement active screening at defined locations. And I would encourage that your leadership team or your safety professional or your HR person would define the difference between those. Where possible, maintain all non-essential internal doors in the open position. Now, doors that are re required for fire and security purposes should not be kept open at all times, but the others should. This way, you don't have people touching door handles um, or the, you know, or a um, any part of the door if they're left open. So let's talk about those cubicles and shared offices. You need to evaluate or determine if six foot distance can be maintained. You know, cubicles and shared offices where you don't have six feet should be closed or rearranged to be able to be um, maintained at a six foot distance. You may want to consider different uh, shifts or starting and ending times. Um, if you have cubicles that are really low, um, you may want to consider putting additional shields up, right? So that maybe it's seven and a half feet from the floor for standing workstations and five and a half feet for seated workstations. So that is an alternative. You want to um, put some visual management, like uh, marking locations of chairs or preferred hallway travel uh, pass as a means to ensure six foot distance, social distancing is being maintained. Um, main hallways that are beside a set of cubicles may be used without you know, constructing any type of special shields or bar uh, barriers. But we would suggest that you discourage employees and visitors from stopping to talk or loiter, you know, with those individuals in there, especially because now you're you're making it a smaller space and there could be um, more opportunity for contact spread. And, you know, just encourage people go from point A to point B, don't stop in between, right? Um, bathrooms, taking a look at your bathrooms. Um, I know organizations that may have like three or four stalls in a restroom, but there's only 36 inches between the outside of the stall and the other side of the wall. Um, you're not going to be able to have two people in there and be able to pass one another with, without keeping that six foot social distancing. So you may have to turn them into a single occupancy. Um, you may need to now put cleaners in there so that people can clean, um, you know, prior to, before and after they use it, um, making sure that they're wiping down stall doors, faucets, and uh, sink area. If you are an organization that may have um, an air hand dryer or a fabric hand dryer, I would strongly urge you to eliminate use of those and, and using a disposable um, hand towel or paper towel so that um, that air is not being moved around and spreading whatever it is that may be on someone's hands. Common areas, we want to limit the number of people that are in break rooms, conference rooms. You need to post the updated maximum number of people that are allowed in there, and that's going to be based on your municipality or your state, right? So right now, most of them are, you know, under 10. But you still need to make sure that 
if you have 10 people in there that you're all at least six feet apart. So some organizations are, you know, putting, you know, painter's tape on uh, chairs, every other chair, so no one's sitting there, right? So you've got that visual. Uh, you may want to put markers on the floor uh, with tape showing that this is where the chair needs to be so that, again, we are keeping uh, six feet apart. Same thing when it comes to your microwaves, coffee machines, refrigerators. You want to make sure that you've got some visual markings as to what six feet looks like. Make sure there's hand sanitizer around those areas um, and that employees should use that prior to using any of the uh, commonly shared items. You also want to make sure that you have available uh, cleaning supplies that people can use. And um, anywhere that you typically have people congregating, that may be an issue, you may want to put visual markings down so that you are continuously promoting social distancing. Mailroom is something that, you know, we need to be cognizant of, right? Locations that receive mail and packages oftentimes are a central location and they distribute to all the employees. You probably want to develop a process that it conforms to social distancing. Um, you may want to have a central drop-off location for packages and mail and then, you know, notify someone either voicemail or email or text or instant messaging. Um, as to where they can pick them up, or someone can drop them off and just leave them outside of their cubicle or outside of their office, and they can grab it, um, you know, as soon as they are aware of it or they see it. Your lunch areas, your kitchens, lunchrooms, cafeterias, you know, what you see here are, you know, again, depending on the size of your organization or where your facility is housed, you know, you may have a full-blown cafeteria, or you may just have a little break room that has a microwave and a toaster oven. Um, making sure that you've done everything that you can to prevent touching things that other people are going to be touching. If you are touching things, again, having the sanitizer um, available, cleaning supplies will go a long way. For some organizations, you know, you may want to consider putting in an additional refrigerator or microwave to allow multiple locations for people to heat up a meal so you don't have people all congregating waiting to use those at the normal break time, right? So we want to be a little creative. It may cost, you know, a couple hundred dollars more to do this, but it may um, save everyone in the long run. So let's talk about excuse me, those um, organizations that have elevators. So not all elevators will allow someone or people to maintain social distancing of six feet. So you're going to have to evaluate your elevator, take a look to see what the number of recommended occupants would be while maintaining that and post that. Um, you may want to just consider using the elevator for going up only and mandating that people use the, the stairs to come down right? Um, you also want to put visual markers where people should stand in the elevator to ensure that they are truly six feet apart. And then some other items from more from an HR or compliance standpoint, here are some policies that you may uh, need to revisit before people come back, okay? 
you know, do you have guidelines or a policy um, on COVID return to work? So someone that has been exposed to or tested positive, do you have guidelines and a policy in place as to how they come back? What about someone that is um, teleworking or someone that was furloughed or laid off and now they come back and they're refusing? How are you going to handle that? You need to put that in place beforehand. If you're going to consider teleworking, um, are you going to develop a true telework policy? So expectations and guidelines are you know, determined and communicated. Your office standards and guidelines, you know, how you're going to do business once everyone is back. So you need to look at those. Um, if you're going to be requiring self-assessment, you need to have some guidelines and a policy on that. Um, if you hold meetings, what are the standards for that? How are you going to do it? What are the prohibited activities? What will the rehire process be for those people that were furloughed or laid off? And then will you allow people to travel? And if so, um, is it just business? or is it business and personal, and how is that going to impact them? So um, for those of you that may have people who are out on unemployment, um, a lot of people are concerned about how it's going to impact the organization, right? So what has transpired as far as um, unemployment? You know, people are receiving benefits um, under unemployment, but People are also receiving an additional 13 weeks of extended unemployment benefits, okay, for uh, eligible workers. So anyone um, beginning March 29th, for any week the employee was eligible for unemployment, they're also eligible for this, an additional $600, right, uh, that they get for that 13-week extension. So what does that really mean? Potentially, someone could be out again, depending on what state you're in, um, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, from Delaware, so I'll share with Delaware. The highest you can get in Delaware is $400 a week for unemployment, but now you're receiving an additional $600 on top of it. So people are, are um, receiving $1,000 per week for being able to stay home and um, be laid off or be furloughed or um what have you so it's not a bad deal so how's that going to affect your business because you know we all pay into unemployment so based on the way things are right now the first week that someone was out uh would not affect an employer's rates okay because normally there's a waiting week and um under the family's first coronavirus act and the cares act they have ma uh, mandated that that first waiting week uh, would not happen. So the federal government is supposedly picking up the tab on that one. The $600 additional that they are receiving will not affect your individual unemployment rates. Now, we all know that the rates are calculated on an annual basis for employers. And based on the states that I've uh, spoken with, um, they have not determined if the calculation for unemployment rates uh, will be affected or changed due to the pandemic. So more to come on that in the future. 
So what about HIPAA, right? HIPAA compliance. You know, some people think, oh, well, you know, this is a pandemic, so uh, all bets are off. And that is not true. Um, HIPAA privacy rule protections still apply, even though it is uh, a pandemic, okay? If someone, um, if someone uh, is tested positive, as far as who we need to know without getting the employee's uh, authorization would be the public health authority or at the direction of the public health authority, we would do it. And to any individuals that are at risk of contracting or spreading the disease. So through the contact tracing, we would determine other individuals that were exposed as a result of that. So under ADA compliance, here are some questions. Can an employer take an employee's uh, temperature? The answer is yes. I will tell you five and a half weeks ago, I think it was, uh, the answer would have been no. OSHA would not let you do that, but now OSHA is saying yes. You need to make sure that, you know, those individuals that are in your employee um, are safe okay, and that they um, are not at risk by other employees. Can an employer require employees with symptoms to stay home or leave the workplace? Absolutely, yes. We don't want them there. We want them to go home, take care of themselves, and not spread the wealth to the rest of the organization. Can employers screen job applicants for symptoms of COVID-19? Yes, they can, but only after their um, conditional job offer. Okay, so you can't take it before you interview them, but if you interview and uh, you extend an offer, part of that offer will be contingent upon a whole host of things, which includes um, COVID-19 testing, or screening, I should say. And can an employer delay a start date or rescind an offer of an applicant that has COVID-19? Um, absolutely, you can. <clears throat> When employees return to work, um, can you retire? Uh, can you require a doctor's note certifying their fitness for duty? And I will tell you, yes, you can. But keep in mind how overwhelmed our medical professionals are. It may be difficult in order to get it. I wouldn't mandate it. I think it would be a nice to have. Um, Again, when you're in the medical field, a lot of medical professionals or organizations are requiring two negative tests before they come back. So you want to take into consideration, you know, what your um, compliance requirements are um, when you are asking for that. Um, can you administer a COVID-19 test? Yes, you can. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to be doing that, but I'm also not in the medical field, and this is more of your um, wheelhouse than it is mine. Um, can employers store or log medical information pertaining to COVID-19? Yes, but it must be kept separately from the employee's personnel file and limiting access to this confidential information. Again, like we spoke earlier along uh, HIPAA and ADA compliance, right? So let's talk for a couple of moments about some best practices. You know, as with any journey, the biggest challenge can be taking that first step, right? Organizations can take the following actions to get it started. Um, find 
or develop a model to visualize the current impact and trajectory of COVID-19 at all work locations. So if you have multiple offices or practices, you need to look at each one of those individually. Um, you may wanna send a survey to employees to rate how well the help desk or self-service or provide them with, um, how you've provided them with frequently asked questions and technology and how it's enabled them to work remotely. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you also want to confirm that your employees um, understand what their top priorities are. Um, what things should be shifted in order to be aligned with what's critical uh, for the business. You also want to empower employee support networks with data and best practices to identify and address burnout, isolation, confusion, and stress. And that's really becoming uh, a major issue right now. You want to check the tone and length of your communications, um, maintain an empathetic and human touch, right? And continuously invite everyone to collaborate, right? We get more done collectively than we do individually. Definitely want to promote virtual trainings, mentorship, and group learning that can um, help address current skill shortages, right? So during this downtime, what can you do to prepare and be in a position to be more effective, more efficient um, with new skills um, in the future? And you wanna make sure that you've got um, continuity of key resources and decision makers um, with backup contacts who are in regular correspondence. You wanna make sure that you're keeping your finger on the pulse and provide extra support to key resources who, have, who you've already identified as your, you know, the, the top um, performers in the organization, right? Your best and your brightest. You wanna make sure that this is not going to um, make them wanna go away. Again, teleworking should be maximized, especially for individuals at high risk of poor outcomes, such as those that are over 60 or those with chronic underlying conditions. You definitely wanna follow all state and CDC guidelines and recommendations for social distancing for not only your employees, but your customers, your clients that you may be dealing with. And social distancing um, under CDC is very different than uh, the, the WHO organization. The WHO is three um, feet and uh, CDC is six feet. So you wanna stay six feet away. And, and understand that things will be different. Every business will have social distancing, and it might mean that you can't operate at full capacity, at least in the immediate future, and we need to be prepared for that. Understand that change is constant, but it can also pr produce opportunities, right? Use this time to innovate for your business. Come up with new ideas, new innovations, new ways to provide value, service to uh, your, your clients. Use this time again for professional development, whether it's through online training or development books. Um, if you don't have SOPs, now's a great time to develop those. When people are sitting idle, have them work on those. Have them update their job descriptions and the physical demands of their position, right? Have them do a physical capacity profile on their job. 
And then, you know, it's a great time also to get some of those uh, projects that have been on your wish list or on the back burner, bring them to the forefront and have people work on that. But at the end of the day, you also want to communicate with your team, keep them informed and do everything you can to keep them engaged. So I've included in here a couple of slides, which I'm really not going to go into any detail whatsoever, but these are some tips that you can utilize to keep your children safe online. Since everything we're doing today is through technology, um, our children, our grandchildren, uh, those that we have guardianship for are, are all at greater risk. So, you know, you want to talk about online safety and get them involved. And I know you can download this information, but, you know, make sure that you're having those conversations. You want to set some ground rules, right? Set some boundaries where they can be online, what they can do, put some parental controls in place. Um, really, really important. Understand that you don't have to be a cyber pro to protect your computer and your network. Um, you want to make sure that you've got parental controls, you're logging in and monitoring your network. You want to definitely schedule internet time for those young people in your, um, in your home. You also want to make sure that you've got antivirus protection on your systems. Um, and here are some additional websites that are very um, informative that can help you and your family members um, stay safe. And I, I looked at the forecast and the next few days we've got some nasty weather coming up. Um, and so here are some things, some adventures that um, you can take with your children, your guardians. Um, on some visits to see some places that maybe in the future when we get back to uh, the new norm, you can consider for vacations, right? Adventures from home. Great websites, great live cameras that you can take a look at. So first and foremost, the pandemic is a decidedly human tragedy. The fear and uncertainty that clients, colleagues, families, and friends are dealing with is very real. What we do now and how we treat our employees will significantly impact their lives. It will define how employees feel about, feel about your company, your organization forever. So uh, just a, um, a free uh, ad here, just thought HR strategies. These are some of the uh, services we provide. Um, we can be and will be your strategic business partner for any of those items that you see on the screen. All staff are SHRM certified and the founder, who is me, is also um, a global HR professional, a senior professional in human resources, as well as SHRM certified. So with that, I will open it up to any questions you may have. Okay, Tricia, thank you so much. That was extremely informative uh, and comprehensive. So thank you so much. Appreciate that. My pleasure. All right. So we do have a few questions. I know we're um, running up on time a little bit, but um, we do have a few questions. Uh, can employees refuse to recall to work and still collect unemployment? 
Um, in, mo in most cases, no. But ultimately, it will be up to the state to decide on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, please keep in mind, though, you know, some states may still have a stay order in place, although where they work, it may have lifted, and that can pose a challenge for employers. Um, as I shared during the presentation, many individuals are making more money staying at home because of the additional $600 that they're receiving through the CARES Act. So right. the question they pose is, why should I go back to work, make less money, increase my health risks when I can make more staying home and receive this additional benefit? But yeah, it's up it. to the employer um, to notify the unemployment agency that they have made the offer of work to the individual and this should stop the eligibility benefits based on that um, and it's really important to educate your people that not only um, would they be responsible for reimbursing any state benefits that were paid but uh, they're also open to civil and criminal uh, penalties including um, jail time okay all right <laughs> good to know Okay. Okay. This next question is something I think that happens to people sometimes during uh, modern dating, I think. Um, uh, ghosting, I think. Um, what happens if an employee doesn't answer their phone or respond to texts or emails from me to recall them to work? Yeah, uh, that's really, um, it's becoming more and more of a challenge and mm -hmm. uh, several of our clients have called with that. So, right. you know, the suggestion would be that you put it in writing, right? If they're not responding to texts, they're not responding to emails or picking up the phone, you send a certified uh, letter with the recall date, the position that they're being recalled to, what their rate of pay and benefit eligibility will be upon their return. Um, who they must contact to confirm their return, and last but, but not least, language describing what happens if they don't show up, such as should you not report to work on the day and time indicated uh, in this letter, we will consider that as action um, to refuel a re uh, recall as well as job abandonment, which would then again um, stop there any unemployment benefits that they were eligible for okay all right so the person can't say oh i didn't i didn't get your message i didn't see right. that I don't, I don't know what about. you're talking about mm -hmm. right okay all right okay um and uh one more i think we have time for just one more question right now um you mentioned that employers should be communicating ahead of time what their plans are for screening employees on a daily basis. What should be included in that communication? So it's really important that people are not blindsided and that they understand why we're doing screening, right? It's not just because we want to know their innermost secrets, right? We want to make sure that we're providing an environment that is safe and healthy for everyone there. So you should really communicate what you're doing and why, um, that you're going to be um, screened every day for any type of respiratory symptoms and have their you know, body temperature taken as a precautionary measure to reduce the spread of COVID-19. Um, in the communication, I would say where, when, and by whom the temperatures will be taken. 
that the employees will be screened privately using a touchless um, forehead thermometer um, and that the employee's temperature and answers to the respiratory symptom questions will be documented and the record will definitely be maintained as a private medical record. I would also let them know that anyone that has a fever above 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit um, or who is experiencing any of those um, respiratory symptoms that they will be sent home, okay? It doesn't matter whether uh, they think it's allergies or anything else, they will be sent home and they'll be asked to contact their doctor or use telemed um, you know, for their symptoms. Um, I would also include in the communication that if they're sent home, they can't return to work until they have not had a fever for at least three days without taking any type of um, medication to reduce the fever and that they have no more respiratory symptoms and that it's been at least 10 days since the symptoms began, okay? Um, I would let an employee know that if um, they can return to work earlier, if, if a doctor has done um, a test and it came back negative, and they've provided that in writing. And can they continue working uh, remotely from home? If they say, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, you guys are being too, you know, too cautious. I can, I can work, I'm fine at home. Oh, absolutely. They certainly okay. can. And, right. th and then everyone benefits from that. Great. Okay. All right. Um, thank you so much. Do you have any other uh, final words of advice for us or anything you wanted to leave with us? Um, the only other thought that I had uh, was, you know, um, Twitter uh, was one of the first, first companies to go to a work from home model when the pandemic began. Um, but they're certainly not going to be the first ones to return to offices. Um, you know, they have quickly come to realize that they can do this. They can, you know, work remotely. They are planning on opening offices in different places when it's the right time. Um, but most of the offices won't be opening until September. And it will be a very, you know, as I shared earlier, almost like a dimmer switch. It'll be very careful, intentional office uh, return, again, gradually. But if individuals don't want to return, they're not going to be required to. What we've all found is that we can work efficiently and effectively remotely. Now, not all positions can do that, but a lot more positions today are able to do that than we ever thought beforehand. So before we say it's time to come back to the office, we want to think about what are the benefits of not doing that and can we save time and money by having people work remotely and still be able to achieve what we've set out to do. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Trish. I very much appreciate it. Okay. We see your, um, yeah, exactly. Um, we see your, your information there. So thank you so much again. Thank you and stay safe. Thank you. Attendees, please use the contact information on the screen for any questions um, that you additionally might have. 
uh, or please send us questions you might have uh, additionally later. We can forward them on to Tricia at HR Strategies. Please remember your PACOM and PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. Also, please don't forget that you can download these slides um, right here um, from the screen, either on the sidebar or the top, um, or on the top, there's a button to download them. So don't forget that. Um, there's so, and there's no need to request your CEU certificate. It will be sent automatically. You can register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us.